Hello, friends. Friends is such a weird friends. Hey, guys. Hey, hey, pals. Hey, fam. Hey, girl. What do we call ourselves? Have you ever listened to other podcasts where they like call their community something like armchair experts? They're the armchairies. Call her daddy. They're daddies. I heard something. I was listening to Mark Marin the other day. Like he has all kinds of crazy names for his. What's our community called? I don't know. I mean, I am very, I feel like there should be a thing. I feel like you guys should submit to the hotline what we should be called. And then we'll like vote and we'll choose something. And then henceforth, it'll be like, hey, T-Rex. That that actually makes no sense. Nobody, <laughs> Nobody wants to be called that. We could be the podcast community that go by dinosaur names. I'm just saying you guys. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Ask Rach, the weekly show where I answer y'all's questions. You call into a hotline, you leave me a voicemail, like an old school answering machine, and then I answer some of the questions. And today's are really good. Two questions that have nothing to do with each other, but I feel like are fantastic. One is trying to decide whether or not you should have another kid. That is a huge question. Thank you for trusting a stranger on the internet with the answer to that one. And then totally different subject, but equally as interesting to me. Someone asking, how do you make money with podcasts? She's like, I got a podcast. I really dig it. I'd like to make some money at this. What do I do? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. I am, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to answer some questions. So let's go over to our voicemail. Let's just jump right on in with a question from Jess. Hi, Rach. My name is Jess, and I'm 25 years old, also an Enneagram One. I discovered you when I first read your book, um, Girl Stop Apologizing, when I graduated from college. And I was really struggling to get a job at the time. And I just fell in love and found motivation with what you stood for and what you were saying. So my question kind of deals with family relationships as well as following your own dreams, no matter what. Currently, I'm happily engaged to a wonderful man who I've actually known since we were five. After three years, we finally this year purchased a piece of land um, with the dream of building our own home all by ourselves, which is a huge goal to set. We received lots of encouragement. Um, A lot of people are excited for us, but my family in particular is very traditional. 
And this is really a daily struggle as we're currently living with my parents, which comes with its own challenges, of course. So I'm just wondering, how do I follow my dreams and forge my own path? Many people in their 20s, I'm kind of at this awkward stage when there is always negativity in my environment that I can't really change or get away from. Historically, I have really always tried very hard to please people and cared a lot about what others have thought about me. I've done a ton of work on this, but it's still something I struggle with um, from time to time. So yeah, any guidance on any of that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Jess, I am so excited because I feel like there's about six questions in one, and I'm here for all of them. How do we pursue our dreams when friends or family, people in our inner circle are very negative about the dream that we are trying to chase down? Let's start at the top with the most practical advice that I can possibly give you in this situation. The proximity that you have to the negativity is the biggest piece of tension in your life. I'm going to guess. Now, obviously, I'm not inside. I don't have full context. But proximity, meaning how close you are to that negative energy, is going to be the biggest piece of tension in your life because you can't help but interact with it. I've got all kinds of crazy negativity in my family, but I'm not living with them. I don't interact with those people on a daily basis, which is what you and your fiance are currently dealing with. The first place to start is more than the land, more than the dream, more than anything else, is what is the plan to not be living with mom and dad anymore? Step number one, look at this in terms of sort of concentric circles. Imagine a bullseye and you're right in the center of that bullseye. So the next ring around you, this this sort of constriction and this tension would be the fact that you are literally living inside the negative environment. You're in it. When I'm trying to take on an issue in my life or an area that I feel tension in, I'm gonna focus on what is the closest thing to me, what is affecting me the most. So what is the plan to not live with mom and daddy anymore? That's where we have to start. First question, do we have the finances? Do we have the ability to live somewhere else? Dream scenario, you get your own place. You don't have to live with anybody. This is awesome. We can run around naked. We can make out with each other all day. What a life we're having. Yay for us. That would be awesome. If you can do that, do that. ASAP do that. Now, I'm going to make up a scenario. Obviously, I don't know Jess's full story, but let's say Jess is like, yeah, but Rach, we're living with mom and daddy to save the money so that we can build the house on the land. All right. Well, this looks like which is the lesser of two evils? Is it better to suck it up and live inside of negative energy so that we can save money? Or is it better to not be able to save as much money, but to live a better life in the meantime. Spoiler alert, the answer is option B. Period. Full stop. I, you will never convince me otherwise. You do not know how long it's going to take you to save up money to build that house. So if you are staying in a negative environment because you think, well, this at least gives me the opportunity to do my bigger dream, like to what end? 
let's like play this full out and let's go worst case scenario. Let's say, for instance, that our country is going into one of the worst recessions we've ever had, that finances are about to get crazy, that it's going to be even harder to save money, to have a great paying job, to do the things that you're wanting to do, right? Let's just say that that's happening because it is, okay? So let's say that it actually, you thought it was only going to be two years of living with mom and dad, but now it's four. Four years of living with that negativity, especially if you're telling me that an old coping mechanism for you is one of people-pleasing. And there's nobody that a daughter's trying to people-please more than her mom and dad. So four years of you guys living with this negativity, how inspired do you think you're going to be to pursue your dream? How excited are you going to be to do these things? Negativity and negative energy, when it's that close to us, it chips away, right? It's just one little piece at a time till you lose your joy, till you lose the color and the energy and the vibrancy that you had for a dream because someone, it's like a river running over the same rock every single day, every single day. Even the strongest stone can be carved down to nothing. And I don't want that to happen to you and this dream. So our first option is if you have the ability to move out, even if it means that you take a longer amount of time to get the money to build the house, do it. Maybe you find some other roommates, right? Maybe it's not moving out completely on your own. Maybe you find other roommates. Maybe you go to a different family member's house. Maybe you, I don't know. But y'all, every single person, not just Jess, listen to me well. This life is too freaking short for you to stay in a toxic environment if you don't have to. And maybe you're like, no, but my parents are so great in every other way. It's just this great dream of my life and my heart that they're super negative about. Well, think how jacked up that is. I'm not saying don't have a relationship with them. I'm not saying you guys don't still hang out. But if you are saying, this is who I am, And your parents, your family, your sister, your in-laws, it doesn't matter who it is. If you have the courage, and by the way, naming a dream takes courage. If you guys came to tour, you heard me talk about this. We are the dreamers, right? A dreamer sees a vision for their life that is different than the one they are currently living today. And they have the courage to try and figure out what to do with that dream. Dolly Parton said, a goal is a dream with its work boots on. Well, Jess put some damn work boots on her dream and she's trying to make it happen. So if you're going to have the courage to call your shot and say your dream out loud, if the people in your life are going to crap all over it, that is not a healthy environment for you. That's concentric circles. The first circle is you're in this tension. If you can get out of it, great. So maybe you're like, Rach, no, we we don't have any money right now. We just paid for this land. We are broke as a joke. We got to live with mom and dad right now. It's our only option. Okay, awesome. Let's then understand what's at play when our family of origin craps all over the dream. Usually, now sometimes we have parents that are just, terrible. But usually when this happens, 
it's actually grounded in fear. It doesn't have anything to do. They're not trying to make you feel bad. They're not trying to be awful. They're not trying to dream crush. They're terrified. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. In my life as an adult, I have bought, I'm counting, one, two, three, four, five, six. I've bought six houses in the course of my life as an adult bought and sold oh wait seven seven houses bought and sold in the history of my life as an adult and that was oh wait eight I forgot we had a townhouse so the bulk of those obviously happened inside of my marriage and started when we were like young and both working super hard didn't have a ton of money But both of us sort of came into the relationship with owning a home being really important to us. And as a side note, it's funny because I think now with the way so many things are going, it's so unnecessary to own a home. You can hold on to so much more cash like more savings, especially in a time like this, if you don't have to put that big amount of money down. Even when we bought our first townhouse, which was like such a small amount of money because it was this like little apartment basically. Even then it was like the most money either of us have ever spent on anything. And it was huge. It's so not necessary now. I do think if you sort of read about the structure of this country or the banking system or you look at the housing crash in 2008, there's so many things that I feel like they sort of set up people to believe like this is the American dream. But it is some people's American dream and it doesn't have to be yours. So I just, I want to say that whoever's listening to this, you don't need to own a home just because the world tells you that you're supposed to be a homeowner. That being said, as a side note, 
buying the place I was living in and investing in the place I lived in is the single greatest financial success stories of my life. Because I'm such a homebody, I love being at home. And because I'm not afraid of living in kind of any neighborhood, because I grew up in some pretty scary neighborhoods. So I'm not afraid to live in any neighborhood. And I'm not afraid to like buy a fixer upper. I have historically done this every time I've bought a place since I, I mean, the first place we got was when I was like 21. We would buy in a good neighborhood, but a kind of not great place. And we'd live in it because we had no other option. And then slowly over time, we'd make it better. We'd make it better by like taking on little projects ourselves. We make it better because we would save up money and then pay for something like, oh, we're going to redo the tile here or we're going to add this thing there. And we would slowly improve the place while we had it. And then when it came time to sell it, we had appreciated value because we had improved the place we were living in. And then we would invest the money that we made into like the next house. And we had done, we did that again and again and still is kind of how I work today is like buying in a great neighborhood a really crappy place and spending a few years making it a lot better while living inside of it and then selling it. It just has worked really well for me. That is a side note, but I just wanted to share that because I always have, I, I think about that a lot. Like what are some of the things that I've done even when I didn't have a ton of money that I feel like have really set up my ability to have savings and to accumulate wealth? That was a big one and I think still is. And women don't talk about it enough. And I think oftentimes women don't feel like we have financial capabilities, like maybe we don't feel like we have as much autonomy over our own finances or our own ways of investing. And so we feel scared to do it. And I just wanted to share that because I thought maybe it would be helpful. Right now, everyone's saying this thing, like right now, everything's about to go to hell in a handbasket in this economy. And so it's not time to make big financial investments if you can hold on to cash, now is the time to do that. But the reason I wanted to tell that story about buying real estate, I promise Jess, this is all about your question, is that every single time we did that, my mother-in-law at the time would freak out. And my mother-in-law was hugely influential in the life and opinion of my ex-husband. And so every time she would spin out over us getting a place, because each time we got like a little bit of a bigger place, right? We would get a townhouse and then we got a little like two bedroom. And then the next we got a three because we were having babies and, you know, whatever. And every time she would freak out and we'd be excited like, oh, come look at this place. And she'd walk through and she'd just be so overwhelmed. And then she would overwhelm my ex-husband. It was it was pretty bananas because just in case you're like, oh, because was she giving? No, she had no money in involved in this. She had no skin in the game, but she did have so much 
fear around financial scarcity because of her childhood. So every time we did something that involved big finances, she would just flip out and then she would freak out my partner at the time. And he would be like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? I remember very specifically this great neighborhood in LA. So we were in Glendale at the time, if you know LA at all. Glendale's like suburb, lots of families, great schools. It was like a whole thing. And we had this tiny little Spanish style house that we had fully over the years renovated, so cute, improved it so much, and we were ready to sell. And then we found a much bigger house, which was necessary because we were going from two kids to three. We found a bigger house in a nicer neighborhood of our neighborhood. But this house was a catastrophe. It had not been touched since the 70s. It had like powder blue carpet everywhere. It was, there were like rats. It was so gross. An older couple had lived there. They had both since gone on to nursing homes and then since passed away. Their adult kids had had this house forever and like just couldn't bring themselves to sell it because it was their family home. They had all grown up there. So it sat empty for like five years. It was like the haunted mansion. It was so gross. But as soon as I walked in the first time, I was just like, oh my God, this could be insane. There's so much work, but this could be amazing. It was in LA. It was on an acre. Y'all, I don't know if you know LA. There are no acres in Glendale in LA, but it was this like weird thing where it's built on an old park and they still had the acreage there. And so it had amazing land. The house was a nightmare, but I just knew it could be. And I I remember walking through with my ex-husband and he like, we left and he was like, oh my God, you're going to want to buy this house, aren't you? And you're going to, this is going to be, and I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Because the only way we could afford that house, even though it was a mess, the only way we could afford it was to buy this haunted mansion and live inside of it for two years while we gutted and renovated it. And we had two kids and I was pregnant with Ford. It was a nightmare. So he was like already overwhelmed, but like I could talk him around. I'm a wayfinder, right? I can see a thing. And if you just like see the vision with me and walk in this direction, I promise it'll all work out. So we ended up buying this house. We walk through okay, we're going to do this thing. This is going to be amazing. I remember that his parents came up and his dad, since retired, but his dad's a contractor. So his dad has the most incredible vision. So he was also like, oh yeah, this is a thing. Like it's going to be a nightmare, but you can make this so cool. His mom was like so freaked out. The financial investment was the biggest house we'd ever had. What was it going to cost to renovate this thing? And like this land, she kept talking about the upkeep, the upkeep of this yard and whatever. And she was just spinning out. And at the time, I was still like such a people pleaser that I was like, oh my gosh, she's upset. Now he's upset. And everyone's upset. And this was my idea. It was so crazy. And Number one, I didn't have the tools and the knowledge at that point to understand that this was fear for her. 
at the time, to me, it felt like she was being negative, that she was being mean, that she was trying to control and manipulate. And I'm sure that there were parts of her that were trying to manage her fear in that way. But I didn't know enough to just speak to her fear instead of speaking to the way she was acting. So I think I drown a lot in my in-laws and what they wanted and how they perceive. And I couldn't really see the humanity in it. I just saw like the surface level stuff, which felt really gross to me. And I wonder, Jess, if what's actually happening with your parents is not negativity, but if it's actually fear. If it's fear that, oh gosh, Jess and her boo have made a huge financial investment in this crazy idea. Like, why don't they want to just go get a nice little three bedroom, two bathroom in a track home where they've got like the plumbing done, the electrical's good, everything's fine, right? Like that's how they want to function because that makes them feel safe. So maybe it feels negative to you, but it's actually just that your parents are worried for you. And guys, people can be worried for us and still act like assholes. Let's just be real. Just because you know why someone's doing something doesn't excuse the behavior. But it's worth trying to understand what's kind of at the core of that because it'll better help you manage the situation. I think that when I can look at my own parents and go, oh, wow, they're really making a fear-based decision, it helps me to see them almost as little kids. And if I can see them as little kids, it's not so scary or overwhelming for me. So maybe it's important to understand why your parents feel the way that they do. And you can try talking to them about that. Hey, what's going on here? Mom, let's unpack it. No, go deeper. Now go deeper. We play the and then what game. Okay, mom, like tell me why this, why is this so negative for you? She's like, well, you know, da, 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 da. And you're like, okay, and then what would happen? And she's like, well, then you'd have no money and blah, blah, blah. And then what would happen? And it just keeps going down. What you will eventually discover is one, you can unpack her fears about you until they're obsolete because you're like, okay, well, that's not literally, that can't be a thing. You can unpack her fears about you until you really keep going and unpack and discover that it's the fear that she has about her. I did this recently with one of my kids. He's really hard on himself about his grades. This is totally his own way of functioning, not anything I put on him. He just like, he wants straight A's. He's really hard on himself. And he was kind of upset about literally getting like a 93 when he wanted a hundred. It was that kind of thing. And so I was helping him to unpack it and so hard on himself. So hard. And I was like, okay, babe, let's just go. Let's go all the way to worst case scenario. Why do you want these grades? And he's like, well, I want to go to a really good college. Okay. And I said, okay, let's, let's play for fun. Let's say worst case scenario for you guy. You continue to be awesome. You get straight A's. You are an amazing human. You're doing all the things that you can to get into college. Let's say you apply and no college in the entire world, none of them, they all reject you. They're like, this kid's the worst. We don't want you. Let's say that that actually is what happens. No college on the planet will allow you to come inside, okay? I'm like, would you agree that that would be the worst case scenario for you? And he was like, yes. And I said, okay, in that instance, 
Your mom is very successful and has successfully built and managed I umpteenth businesses. You're a really smart boy. So here's what's going to happen. No college in the world accepts you. Then you're going to take six months off. You'll you'll continue to live with us. You'll figure out what you want to do. And then I will help you start your own business. That's what we'll do. I'll help you start your own business. With your brains and my entrepreneurial know-how, you'll be the next Steve Jobs. You'll be Elon Musk. You're smart. You're driven. That's what we'll do. That is our plan. That is the worst case scenario. And buddy, there is literally no world where that happens. I'm like, would you agree that there is no world where every college on the planet rejects you? And he's like, yeah. And I said, okay, great. So we figured out the worst case scenario and it's still awesome. So we don't have to have fear. And he started laughing and he's like, okay, you're right. You're right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to try and remember that. And maybe that's powerful for you and your mom, Jess. I'm saying mom. Maybe it's your dad. Who knows? I don't know which of your parents or maybe both of your parents. But I'm like, if you keep unpacking and then you guys won't have money and then you'll try something and da, da, da. And then, and then you'll end up having to live with us. And you're like, oh, so literally the exact life that we're living right now? I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way, as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities 
that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas, the food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. When we unpack our fears, when we look at the monster that's under the bed, we find out that there's no monster there at all. This energy you feel from them is fear-based and you don't have to buy into it. If you can remove yourself from the situation, if you can move out, even if that would not allow you to save, I would highly recommend it. I think it's better for you and your partner anyway because you're going to be able to really learn how to live on your own. And maybe that would help your parents to see you as adults. Maybe that's part of it is you're still at home being supported by them in certain ways. And that makes them worry that you wouldn't be able to like build your own place. Building your own house, bro, that is a freaking long process. That's going to be a dream that takes a while. But what a beautiful life. A life spent in pursuit of building a home. What an incredible legacy. And no matter how long that takes you, you're going to have fun in the journey and the process, but only if you decide that you are allowed to have this dream and not just have it, but enjoy it. And it's really hard to enjoy the process of pursuing your dream if someone continues to crap all over you every time you talk about it. So you've got some options here. I hope you'll try one of them, try two of them, try a few, see what happens and let me know how it goes. Okay, let's see our next question. Hi, Rach. Uh, this is Stacy here. I am super in love with your podcast lately, and thank you so much for being so honest and genuine. I have started my own podcast, and I have fallen madly in love with it. It's about mothers finding themselves outside of motherhood. I get to talk to all of these incredible women who totally inspire me. I find myself working on it all the time, but it feels like no time has gone by when I'm working on it. I'm just in the zone. I'm in like my dharma, right? My question is, I'm feeling very driven to make money with this podcast so that I can work on it all the time, but I honestly have no idea how to do that besides grow big enough to have sponsors. Should I just enjoy the ride? Or should I find a way to monetize this passion project so that I can continue doing it all the time besides my actual normal job and taking care of my and taking care of my children is also part of my job. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Thank you for listening and I appreciate all that you do. Bye. Love this question because I'm all about any of us, all of us 
being financially independent, being financially free, experiencing financial prosperity in our lives. And I don't mean like us rolling around in piles of money. I mean us being able to take really good care of ourselves and our families and have those little extra perks and things that make life feel a lot better. You know, being able to do special fun things that you wouldn't be able to do if you didn't have some extra income. So I'm all about every single one of us doing what we need to do to experience that kind of comfort. Now, when it comes to podcasts, there are a few things I thought of and a first question I want to ask you. And the first question I want to ask is, why do you need to monetize the podcast? Now, I promise I'm going to tell you how to, but I think it's worth asking why. If you have never read Big Magic by Liz Gilbert, I would love to encourage you to grab that book. It's so freaking good. Any of you who do creative things, who have a business, who create content, who put stuff out into the world, everybody should read Big Magic. But essentially, there's a lot of chapters in that book that talk about how special it is to have a thing that you love that isn't monetized. Because the moment that you monetize something, it alters the way that it shows up in the world. For example, let's say your podcast, you're loving what you're doing, but when you first start out getting advertising dollars, which I'm going to talk to you about, if you really want to make money, then you tend to be more willing to take on any kind of advertiser because you're like, well, I want to monetize this and this is my job now, so I have to make money at it. And since I have to make money at it, then I need to take on an ad for this company I really don't love, I really don't feel comfortable in, but I have to because I've got to make those greens. You know what I mean? In the book Big Magic, she recommends that if you have a thing you love, you keep it separate from money. And that's worth asking if you don't have to monetize the podcast yet, then don't. I did not monetize my podcast for almost two years. It's kind of bananas. I had, I don't want to sound like a douchebag, but I had a really successful podcast. This podcast was so successful and I had no idea because I didn't know anything about podcasting. I just, people had said, oh, you should do this. So Jack and I started taping episodes and putting them out into the world. I definitely didn't record all the time. I didn't understand about consistency or that I would do like 12 episodes and then take a three-month break and then do more. It was so so bad. But I was just having fun. I was just trying something. I was testing it out. And kind of all at the same time, I had a bunch of like agencies and podcast networks and different people start to approach me saying like, we want to do something with your show. We want to do, and I was like, why, what is going on? Why are all these people talking to me? And I kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And finally, so many people were reaching out that I agreed to take meetings. And it was in those first few meetings that people would be like, do you know what your numbers are? Like, do you understand how many people are listening to the show? They would show me 
And I was like, holy crap. Okay. Oh, th this is a thing. And for the longest time, I didn't want to do ads on the show. Like I was so anti-ad because I was just like, no, I don't, you know, people, my, my audience never listen to ads and I don't want to bug them. I don't want them to be annoyed. And then two things really convinced me to flip it in the other direction. One is that I listen to podcasts and I don't get annoyed when I hear ads. I'm like, okay, like this is what Dak Shepard wants to talk about or this is what this person's sharing. It doesn't bug me that there's an ad. I just assume, hey, this is how this person gets paid and I get to listen to all this content for free as long as I listen to an ad for BetterHelp or whatever, which is a brand that I love anyway. So I was like, all right. This feels fine. So as a podcast listener, I wasn't annoyed. And then two, I was like, wait, I am paying a person. At that point, I think I probably had two because I had an editor as well. I'm paying people to work on this with me, but I'm not bringing in any income. And this is a bad way to do it. So I finally agreed to take ads on and I hated it in the beginning. I was so grouchy about having to do ads because I really didn't understand in the very beginning how much control I had in saying no to things that didn't feel appropriate for me to do. I definitely understand that now, but I didn't then. So it just was this whole thing. And when I first started doing ads, so I first started monetizing the show, there definitely were ads for things I really didn't know as much about. And that feels wrong to me. So I only want to talk to you guys. I only want to share things that I really use, that I am really familiar with, that feel like vetted and real and that you're not going to hear it here and then go try it and it's like going to turn your skin purple or something. But I didn't know all that in the beginning. All of that to say, Stacy, by the time I took on the first ad, the ad revenue from those ads was so much more lucrative because I had waited so long to monetize it. So for whatever that's worth, if you don't have to monetize it yet, it really allows you to have fun, to experiment, to try stuff, to see what you're into, to figure out your cadence, to get into a good groove and a good flow. Once you are focusing on the money, it changes the experience. Now, if you want this to be your gig, if you're like, no, Rach, I got to have a job and I would really like this to be my job, fantastic. Let's figure out how to make you some money. To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. 
Go to thrivemarket.com slash Rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Rach. Thrivemarket.com slash Rach. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The first way that you can make money with a podcast before you get to those big national ad dollar kind of things, before you have those kind of numbers, is probably an idea that maybe a lot of you haven't considered when it comes to podcasting. Or frankly, maybe you haven't considered when it comes to having a YouTube channel or having, you know, an Instagram following. And that is that you have a product or a service that you sell and the podcast works as a marketing tool for the thing that you sell. If you listen to almost anybody in the personal development space where they have product, almost exclusively their podcast is just a marketing tool for the product. I absolutely have talked on this show a lot about things that I, you know, my tour, if I have a book coming out, when I've had classes, when I used to do coaching, Rise Conference, I talked about all of those things on my show. So it ends up being a great marketing tool to sell a product. But if you want to go listen to people who do this really well, like literally their podcast is only a marketing tool, but you kind of don't realize it when you're listening because you're getting such good info. I think Brendan Burchard does this really well. Amy Porterfield does this really well. Brooke Castillo does this really well. They are essentially using the podcast platform. They're sharing the tools. They're sharing the resources. They're sharing bits and pieces of what they're selling. So you begin to hear about the product they're selling in an organic way. And it's just not a hard sell way to get you to learn about a good or a service. Stacy, you're talking about mamas and like helping mamas. I'm totally making this up, but what if you came up with a course that was like how to find your passion after kids or 20 things that'll help you feel more exciting about building a life outside of parenthood or how to be a working parent successfully. I'm just literally making stuff up. But those are things, like if you identify the things your audience is really into and then you create a product or a service to serve your audience and you use the podcast as the way to market that thing, that's how you can quote unquote monetize the podcast. And it's kind of this like roundabout way that a lot of people don't think of or realize. I personally 
really want a podcast that is a standalone great show that's not about selling stuff. I am deeply focused on creating great content for you guys and how we make it better and how we pay attention to what you love and then do more of that stuff. Like, I hope that you're getting that in the way that the show has gone this year. I'm really trying to dial into what you're interested in hearing. And we're seeing this in listenership. Listenership has grown so much in the last six months by paying really close attention to what you're loving. I don't want to use the show as a sales tool for something else. I don't want to sell anything anymore. I don't want to, that's not a negative. I'm so proud of the products that we've had over the years. I love small business owners and people that create their own product, create their own service or course or video or whatever. Yes to that. That was a huge part of my life for so long. But as I look to the future, it's just not what's in my heart of hearts to create product anymore. It's a lot of moving pieces. It's a lot of staff that's necessary for me to pull that off and still do this kind of work. And I've just made the decision to not do it anymore. That's my choice. But that's also the artist in me and the creative in me that would rather create content for y'all, that would rather write the next book, that would rather create a screenplay that gets turned into a movie. Like that's the kind of stuff I want to be doing. And if I have products, it takes too much of my energy away from the act of creation. The way I monetize my podcast is not by selling products. It's by having advertisers. I'm sure you hear them all the time. I do ads for things I really care about. Love BetterHelp. That's a longtime partner. ZipRecruiter, longtime partner. I tell you about like cool movies that are coming out, TV shows, books that I'm loving, other podcasts that I think are cool, apps or websites or stuff I'm really into. If I wasn't yet at this place where I could get national advertising dollars, the other thing you can do, Stacey, is get local advertisers, get small businesses. So Years ago, I used to listen to Jamie Ivey's podcast, and I felt like she always did this really well. She, I haven't listened to him forever, so she may have national peeps now, but she used to do this really well where she would talk about small businesses and she'd say like, this is my favorite local coffee roaster, or this is this thing in my town. She had a lot of people in her town who listened to her episode, and so she could do local advertisers. And those were like, hey it's 500 bucks here, or maybe it's a thousand dollars there. The, the local stuff tends to be smaller, but it can be great little chunks of cash. The way that you go about doing that is that you need to do some research and find out what your listenership is worth, right? So you'll say, I have this many people who listen to my show every single week. And that way you have a reference sheet that you can give to potential advertisers that says, I will mention your product four times over the course of the month, and I can guarantee that this many people will hear it. You can also make that more effective for the advertiser by saying, and we can create a custom landing page on your website that's like sarahscoffee.com forward slash Stacy's podcast to get a special exclusive deal. And then Sarah can see, oh, wow, 500 people came to this landing page 
for Stacy's podcast, Stacy actually has a lot of influence over her listeners. So that way they know that it's going to be something that's effective in the future if they want to give you more advertising dollars. A couple of notes about advertisers. I think the reason I've always done really well in this space is probably because I started as a blogger. And when I was a blogger, you had to be able to prove the ROI. You had to be able to prove the return on investment for your advertising partner. So if I did a blog post about Oreos in a recipe, they could see, oh, 100,000 people looked at this recipe. So 100,000 people saw the Oreos, heard the word used over and over. They see the exposure that their advertising dollars got. Starting as a blogger really made me mindful about making sure that I only take on advertising partners that I know are going to do well with my audience. I get so many requests, like you can't even believe, for every advertiser that I agree to put on this show, I say no to 20 all day. And mostly I say no to things that just don't. I'm not going to do fast food. I'm not going to do snack cakes. I'm not going to do candy. I'm not going to do gummy vitamins for kids that have a crap ton of sugar in them. I'm just not going to do things that I don't use in my real life. I'll make a lot more money if I did. But I also assume that you guys listen to my show because we have some similarities. So I feel like if I put an advertiser on here that you know me well enough to know is not my brand, you'd be like, what? But if you hear me say, man, I literally, before I'm recording this, I literally did a therapy session on Zoom, cannot recommend enough, better help, like this is a great way to do therapy, you guys know I'm being real. And because you know I'm being real, I think it's more likely that you actually will check out this product I'm talking about, which means that my advertising partner gets a return on their investment. So I don't just try and like get money. I try and really think of it as a partnership, that we are entering into a partnership together that is going to be beneficial for us both. This ad partner is gonna get exposure to my audience and my audience is gonna get a percentage discount or they're gonna learn about something that's really cool. And then me, I'm gonna get the ad dollars from that that allow me to pay for the team of people who work on the show. It's the cycle and it all works together. But when it comes to advertising, Stacey, think local before you can think national and do your research so you're backed with information. Think of your podcast as a business. Too many people start a small business and then just like spitball it. Someone will say, okay, well, how much would it cost to advertise on your show? And you're like, um, $75? And it's based on nothing. And the person you're talking to can tell that you're making it up. Give yourself confidence by grounding what you're saying in knowledge. You're like, well, in my industry, this is the average CPM for a listener download. Here's how much my show does. That means that one mention in a show is worth this, but I only sell advertising on a monthly basis. So four episodes a month times this equals this. That's how you do it. Yeah. 
start local, hopefully go to a place where you can get national, and then consider having something that the show helps you to sell to your audience so that your someone said this years ago to me in business, they're like, you're stacking dimes. That's what business is. You're stacking dimes. You're getting a little bit from this, a little bit from this revenue stream, a little bit from this, and it all adds up to give you an income that ends up being something that helps you to find this really lucrative. That is how I would monetize your podcast. And I hope that helped. As usual with the Ask Rachel segments, I know I went off on a couple of tangents, but hopefully you're still here with me and you dug it. If you have a question that you want to ask me on hotline, you're going to call 737-400-4626. 737-400-4626. Ask me anything. Remember that we choose voicemails based on what we think is going to be most helpful to the whole audience. I get a lot of questions about motivation, a lot about business, a lot about parenting. I mean, I feel like we could hear some juicy stories. Is anyone dating? Got any dating information that you need from someone who's dated approximately two men in her lifetime? This could be hilarious. Anything about body image, sex, like let's pretend that we're couple of girlfriends. We're having a girl's night. What are the things we are talking about? That's what I want to hear coming into hotline. It can be totally anonymous. You could just do it just for kicks, just to tell a fun story, but it's 737-400-4626. Hope you got something out of this episode, guys. I will be back soon with more information. If you're digging the content here, please make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. It's the best thing you can do for podcasts. Hosts that you dig is subscribe to our shows and then you never miss an episode. If you like something about this, please share it with a friend. Be back soon. Until then, remember, I love you and I'm rooting for you. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.